time for the Susan Taylor Podcast, where we discuss the yoga of mind, medicine, and healing. Author of Feeling Good Matters, Sexual Radiance, and the Vital Energy Program, Dr. Taylor imparts authentic knowledge and practical tools that inspire, educate, and empower us to be a healing force for positive change. So join us and take your life and our planet to the next level. Hello and welcome to episode 119, Do You Have Fear of COVID-19? Eight Strategies to Consider. You know, the world is in a panic mode right now with the coronavirus and the World Health Organization, as many of you already know, has declared the situation pandemic. And using the past, you know, perhaps we can gain a perspective on the present and I'd really like to tie that in today. Today I saw what everybody was really talking about when I decided to go to the market to get a box of tissues. We finished our last box a few days back and I've been working and I just didn't really have time to go out. So I was insulated from the mass panic that I was about to see. I actually had no idea what was going on. And when I got into the, first of all, the parking lot, I couldn't even find a spot. So I waited for someone to pull out and then I saw empty shelves everywhere, panicked people, but very friendly. And it was like this mass fear taking hold of everyone's mind. So I got my box of tissues and I was talking to people in line. And, you know, one person had eight dozen eggs and just a lot of food. And I had no idea that people were worried about a food shortage or that they were going to get sick and not be able to get out and get food. So it was just very interesting, the scenario. And I said, ah, well, you know what? I got an idea. I said, maybe I should go back and get some vegetables. So I thought maybe frozen vegetables. So I don't usually do that, but I thought, you know, maybe some greens. I'll just have that on hand. I'll get a bag or two. Well, everything was empty. I said, wow, to myself for a moment, maybe I should be stocking up like these people preparing for something big. And then I called some of my good friends and they had already been doing it for weeks. And I thought, wow, where have I been? You know, maybe it's too late. The food supply's gone. <laughs> I thought, well, and then I took it in a different way. And I said, well, maybe it's a good time for me to start a diet and pay close attention to how much I need or don't need, waste or don't waste in my food choices. You know, maybe something I want, but I really don't need to get it. So maybe I need to get over it. So I looked at it as well, wow, this is going to be truly an opportunity for transformation. And you know, like any upheaval or any crisis, uh, crisis meaning to look at what is twice, we can use these opportunities to explore who we are, how strong and confident our mind is, how fearful we get. We could see all the issues that arise when our stability is being challenged. Because for that moment I said, whoa, maybe I better go get some food because I was feeding into all of that. And rightly so, I probably should have a couple of weeks of food. I couldn't imagine that, but uh, maybe that's what we need to do. So this this past week, I switched topics. I was originally going to do a topic because someone had asked me to do it on sleep, and I had that all written. But the COVID-19 came up in so many of my calls and my teaching that I thought, you know, maybe I should really do the research because it takes research before I do a podcast and present something that maybe some people would be interesting, interested in. 
Another thing is my private practice, many of you know, you've worked with me before in nutrition. I've had more inquiries this week than I've had in the last 10 years. And, you know, I decided, well, I'll give people some time and I'm finishing writing my book. So that's been going on. So everything is really changing. Uh, and so today I'll offer some of the advice that I've given others on really building the immune system. That's what I really want to talk about because immunity is something not only on what we eat also, but it's how we think. And uh, that's not a topic for this specific podcast because this one I want to lay the foundation. And if you want further information on getting through this COVID-19 pandemic uh, issue that is really global, uh, then I would be more than happy to put in more content. So let's look at some of the media reports. Here's how it started this week. Some of the statements that I heard were very interesting, like, are we in the midst of an extinction? Is China underreporting this? Are they overreporting this? Is it true that more people are killed by lightning strikes? Do you believe that if you're going to get the coronavirus, are you going, you're, or you're not going to get it? You're either going to get it or not get it, some people said. Is that correct? You know, people are influenced by the media, and it all goes out to get Donald Trump, right? Are we being subject, subjected to biological warfare? You know, I've heard all of this, all of these ideas and circulating around the media channels. And then the question arises, really, should we take caution? You know, there's a lot of government distrust right now, whether on the Democratic or Republican, the Biden or Trump, also conspiracy theories on the virus being biological warfare that's gone wild. And I really understand the, the reason for fear and concern, and rightly so. So the question I'm going to really address today is, do we take responsible precautions? And you know what? I would say yes, we should. This is a virus that's not so much lethal as it is uh, causing uh, illness. It spreads very, very rapidly. And, you know, having, you know, a severe case of pneumonia type symptoms is not exactly a walk in the park either. And especially if you're immune compromised or elderly or, you know, anybody who's compromised, including myself, because I've had pneumonia before. So do we need to get into a panic? I would say no. So we need to take reasonable precautions. And I would say yes. But do we need to get into a panic? I would really say no, because the panic is what's going to cause the problems. So I'd like to give you some thoughts to guide you with your decision making, as well as some immune enhancing strategies to keep you strong and calm about this. For those that haven't been reading up on it, I'm not sure how many are out there. There are many different kinds of coronaviruses, and most seem to cause colds or other mild respiratory, you know, nose, throat, lung illnesses. And there have been far more deadly versions, such as the coronaviruses known as SARS, that's severe acute respiratory syndrome, and the Middle East respiratory syndrome, MERS. So we're still unsure about some of the genetic differences in the, um, I'm going to call it the COVID-19 because we're not really sure, is it one virus or two viruses that have different degrees of, you know, infectivity and pathogenicity? So these are the things to be following carefully for sure, because that's science and that's what's really happening. And, you know, the COVID-19, well, or coronaviruses in general are named because they appear different under the microscope. Coronaviruses we know look look like they're covered with pointed structures that surround them like a corona or a crown. And therefore, it appears differently. And that's why we call it a coronavirus. So that was new to me. So I just thought, because as I said, I haven't really been following it. 
I just knew it was something that was going to be coming along and doing its toll and, and wrecking things, but I didn't really pay too much attention until many of the students that listen or the people who listen who aren't students really brought it to my attention that, hey, we need some information. So let's look at some of the reported data. I'm not going to give you the specific numbers. You can get that on the web and I'll tell you where to get that. But the data is interesting because confirmed cases right now in the world seem to be the highest in the Asian European countries with China, specifically the Wuhan district. And everyone probably knows that being the highest at over 80,000. So currently we see that there's a European concentration that really appears to be centered around interesting countries that have, you know, interesting socioeconomic, political cultural, and maybe even genetic indifferences. We don't know that. This is, if you're looking at it from an anthropological perspective, there's a lot of uh, questions that could be answered here from a scientific perspective. Europe also has some interesting differences, and you can get up-to-date statistics in the European Center. I, I like this place the best, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. And when George and I do our commentary on this, we'll put a link in the commentary so that you can find that, but you could just Google European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. So there are some interesting things that need to be learned as to why we're seeing these differences in frequency and geographical distribution. And I'm sure this is going to start coming soon because it is something that's global now and it's really uh, causing a lot of, if we really look at it from a structural foundational perspective, causing more problems uh, economically than uh, probably people want to even, well, we're acknowledging it, but want to really have to deal with. But I'd also, before I turn to our strategies, I'd like to turn to the comparison to other infections. And many of you have might already heard of this, so I'll run through it very quickly. Because if we look over the last 50 years, it's quite interesting. Uh, just to review them, you know, the Marburg virus, you know, was recognized in 1967. 50, so that's about, what, about 50 years ago. And that's where they had the hemorrhagic fever um, that, you know, that occurred spontaneously or simultaneously in the laboratories at in Marburg and Frankfurt, Germany, as well as Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. And, you know, there were 373 deaths out of 466, 466 people that were known to be infected. And this is a high fatality rate, but they quickly were able to, you know, quell it and, and take care of it. Unlike this virus that we're talking about, you know, the, the death rates are not as high in percentage-wise with how many incidences that there were, but it's spreading very quickly. But if we look at Ebola virus, that was a, an epidemic also on the world, particularly West Africa. And you know, they had a total of over 33,000 deaths, uh, excuse me, over 33,000 cases with about 13,000 deaths. And that was a fairly quickly passed through also and a high infectivity rate and mortality at the same time. Then I even did some more research and I saw the avian, influ the avian uh, influenza or the bird flu where they had 861 cases in the U.S. and 455 deaths. That was extremely lethal. So if we look at SARS, 
Uh, that outbreak was discovered in Asia in 2003, and that lasted about six months and spread through more than two dozen countries, North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. And it stopped in about July 2003. So that's a timeline that holds for most viruses, experts say. I'm not an expert in viruses or immunology by any stretch. And so this should peak out about April or May, and maybe late, maybe at the latest, June, July. But keep in mind, you know, we have, uh, even with the SARS, with the deaths, you know, over 8,000 cases with 774 deaths, that was about 10% lethal. And then I'm not going to get on, we had H1N1, where you had, that was another global pandemic with, you know, over 760 billion people infected with 284 deaths. So that would rank up there looking at its lethal but that's in terms of infected in as far as lethal, it would be a smaller percentage. So now if we get to the COVID-19, we have as of today, and today I decided to hold off on recording because I wanted to get the closest I could to the date of release as of March uh, 13th. We have 133,000 infected with 4,967 uh, who have expired because of it. So you're talking about a 3% uh, lethal rate. So now we can put this into context that it's a bit more infective than it is the normal flu, of course, but it's an inf and an influenza, but it's much more lethal in high-risk populations, which all of you know with challenged immunity. And that's why I want to talk about immunity. But it doesn't rank up there with, uh, you know, lethality, uh, and infectivity compared to some of these viral infections that we've seen over the last 50 years. So that's the good news and the bad news at once because it's not exactly uh, a happy time right now. And the World Health Organization, that data shows that the COVID-19 is at a lower order of its lethality but high in its infectivity. So it's the infectivity that everybody is responding to and that's why it's probably appropriate to really talk about immune, immune system. So I'm going to just report some of the reported facts uh, because, you know, we have two sides being reported, one that says it's just a flu, others say it's a death sentence. And I'm not going to comment on which is true or not true. I'm here today to just give some pointers on what I've actually seen in writing, and I'm not going to change it to my uh, liking or disliking, and how to establish yourself and relax to your own core of being so that you can live your life in a skillful and clear, with a lot of clarity during this time, and you can respond to a situation rather than react out of fear. And the fear is causing people to, you know, have hoarding behaviors, greed, uh, you know, taking the last you know, somebody asked me, there were two bags of lentils on the shelf, and I wasn't going to just go take two. I took one, gave it to the other person. In other words, we're all neighbors here. No one's going to starve. No one's going to die. Maybe it'll bring us back to our community of really taking care of each other instead of being on our cell phones or apps and never saying hello to our neighbor or shoveling a driveway for someone or something. I'm just putting it out there. I'm trying to look at how can we use this for our better enhancement to turn our own, our own personal habits, including myself, around, and how can we be more active participants in our community also. 
And meanwhile, this is saying be isolated and quarantine yourself. So the coronavirus outbreak, we know it originated in China and we, you know, and now it's, it's in 81 countries at least. While it's still unknown about the virus, Australian experts actually have estimated that the virus may have severe consequences on our global, you know, uh, gross domestic product. And we're seeing that already, uh, the loss, the, the stock market's changing, that whole infrastructure is really having difficulty. The number of cases in the U.S. and worldwide is subject to some debate because testing has been rolled out unevenly and the criteria for diagnosis, you know, through clinical means or a lab test has varied from country to country. We do know that. We looked at the other diseases earlier that I spoke about, but we want to compare it. If we want to compare it to the seasonal flu, you know, that kills an estimated of 12,000 to 61,000 people per year and affects between 9 million and 45 million people in the country alone. And that's from the Center for Disease Control. We could also look at some facts about the incubation period for COVID-19. It's still unknown. They're saying that it may range from 14 to 30 days. And then you also have conspiracy theories, uh, also involve many. I'm reporting what I found, but it doesn't mean I'm in agreement or disagreement. Uh, there was a fellow that I found, Francis Boyle. He's not a medical provider, but a Harvard-educated lawyer, political scientist. He's an author. And for decades, he advocated against the development of bioweapons. So he had suspected that the COVID-19 is his words, not mine, a weaponized pathogen that escaped from you know, Wuhan City biosafety level four facility, which was specifically set up to research coronaviruses and SARS. So that's his take on it. You know, he's, uh, again, well prolific. He knows the area. I do not know the area. I'm just saying that that's the bioterrorist theory. So if we're looking at the medical literature, turning to that now, and put this into context as what we should do in the light of this emerging information, we have to make decisions on what is available. And I think staying away from crowds is very sound advice, washing hands, staying away from airborne situations, because it is recognizable through the air. And I think it could, when we cough, it goes out 10 feet. It could sit around on surfaces, metal surfaces, especially for days. You know, putting our hands and mouth and eye, you know, our hands and our mouth and our eyes is not a good idea. Staying away from sneezing and coughing is, uh, I still can't understand how people are out sneezing and coughing. I was just out the other day and someone who was delivering food in a restaurant was coughing in her hands and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to get them fired on the spot, but it was quite shocking to see that. You know, if you're sneezing and coughing, pay attention as to not to give it to somebody else or not so not really give out what you're incubating in your body because it is a public health issue. And this also is going to relate to how our immune system is functioning. So we have to take a look at good food, good sleep, no stress, you know, no stress. I saw people in the store today, let me just say, they're buying foods. I watched how they were buying these frozen food dinners. That's going to create food stress. That's not what you need when you're, when you're trying to fight off something. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Depressed immune function, not eating, debilitating, you know, debilitating life-threatening illness is a place where it's likely that corona could, could mutate or could 
really uh, take over, you know, and hurt someone. And we've seen that in the elderly, especially in Italy. You know, every responsible world leader is on alert trying to protect their country. So we really need to look at this event with a clear lens, not clouded by fears, theories, and beliefs, but perhaps by taking control of our own life and do what we can do to support our health and the health of our family. And fear does not step into the equation because it doesn't help. It depresses the immune system. So I mentioned some of the facts, some of the theories. Not everything is included here, but I just wanted to give you an idea. You know, you have to do your research and gather the facts and have your own questions on what you want to really do. And I'm not taking any side, but what I do know is that we do have a virus that's being reported. It's generating a lot of fear and it's spreading rapidly within a certain, uh, within certain population. Is the fear warrant warranted? That's your decision. My approach is to be skillful and do what I can do personally to drop the fear because it doesn't bring about a positive outcome for anyone, even those around you. In terms of overall health, there are strategies that will be useful in keeping a strong immunity. I would work with anybody out there, anybody you know, anybody that's scared, uh, just refer to, have it as a referral because I can't take all calls. Uh, immunity is our foundation for health and it does, this whole episode will let people be more practical in looking at immunity. And I just posted something on Facebook today at my page, Susan Taylor, PhD how France, this is a while ago, years ago, where they stopped using pesticides. You know, we think about pesticides, well, the, the insects are gonna bite off this and do this, but they also kill the good pathogens or the good bacteria that are actually gonna fight off some of these viruses that are whether nature created or humans might have really created. Um, mostly, uh, we have to look at that too, but that's not a topic for this. So we need a strong and stable mind free of anxiety, fear, animosity, and it's important to keep this in mind as we look at the whole body organism approach to developing our immune system. So the first one that I have on the list is drink pure water. There was excellent advice by Japanese doctors who were treating COVID-19 cases. They said everyone should ensure the mouth and throat are moist and never dry. That's our mucous membranes. We wanna take a few sips of water every 15 minutes at least, because if the virus does get in through your mouth, drinking water, other liquids, what does it do? It washes them down into the stomach. Remember, our lymphoid tissue, our fighting tissue is in our gut and it'll kill the virus. And if you don't drink enough water, the virus can enter your windpipe and into your lungs and then it becomes more dangerous. Second, eat healthy first and foremost. Uh, eating foods that support your gut microbiome. You can do fermented foods. I, I'm going to say this, and then those shelves are going to be empty. In fact, I could have bought sauerkraut today. It was there, or kimchi. Yeah, all these fermented foods were there because people are buying toilet paper. I still don't get it. And paper towels and canned foods and uh, just things. But the kimchi and sauerkraut would be good. Foods like black pepper, coriander seeds, garlic, ginger, uh, vegetables, Lemons and strawberries, if they're not sprayed, strawberries can help keep immunity up. They have a high content of vitamin C. I'm not an advocate of taking high contents, you know, uh, supplements. You know, otherwise I would say take zinc. You could do zinc with vitamin C, but all of that will help, but it's not the 
the end of the road. I also like to use herbal combinations. I've told you in the past, I like to use trichotu, which are three ginger, uh, black pepper, and long pepper, and make a tea because it helps to enhance my immune system. I'm always working on, uh, or my digestive system, which enhances my immune system. I always work with immunity first and the gut. Then we avoid certain dietary immune breakers. Well, what's that? Sugar. That decreases immunity. You know, if you need sweet tastes, use your root vegetables. Combine them in a stir fry, roasted or in soups. Definitely avoid cold foods now because that'll diminish your digestive capacity. And avoid fried foods because they're difficult to digest and they slow down the digestive function. Do some exercise. Get the body moving in the lymphatics. Lymphatics need to work. They're your uh, immune enhancers. I prefer yoga sequencing, uh, and that helps with my lymph drainage. I could help you design something for yourself. Practice the overnight fast. You've heard me say this for years, because remember, during the evening, your body does the house cleaning. You don't want to be having your body digest food when it can be doing the house cleaning, any of the viruses that you come in contact with. You could also, on number six, take a warm Epsom salt bath. And you might even want to drop your favorite scents. One drop of lavender or something else will relax the mind and help eliminate toxins that may be around and in the body. Massage yourself daily is number seven. A self-massage is very, very good. It helps the nervous system, reduces stress, and supports your immunity. You can use sesame oil for that. That's pretty nice. And the last I'm going to talk about is meditate for better in immunity. You know, it just doesn't help calm the mind and center your energy centers. It does, you know, work with several risk factors associated with a bad immune system. It, you know, from reduced blood pressure, better functioning of our immunity. So when we have a regular practice of meditation, it sends the right messages. It sends the facts to the brain and the body that really helps build immunity, fight off oxidative stretch, which again, dampens your immune system. So, you know, in the last, the last words I'd really like to say is the implications are clear. Our ecosystems in their natural state are, we really want them to see, we want to have balanced, harmonious, and safe ecosystems. Problems do arise when we meddle with those systems. And it's not just the coronavirus. We have invasive species, climate change, habitat destruction, pandemics of any kind. These are all a function of our artificial life, perhaps, you know, the industries that support it. You know, we see the imbalance when we've had pharmaceutical industries come in and take over medical training and things like that. It's one thing to be a part of a group, but not take over and influence things where it becomes so unnatural that we lose our ability to walk in tune with Mother Nature. And let me also add emotional and mental distrust which we have right now in our whole government is not very healthy and violence. It certainly affects our ecosystems, homeostasis, our balance in other words. So remain calm and do your research. I'm here for all of you in any way, shape or form. If you wanna do a weekly get together to get through this, we can do that. I just need you to write in to me and send, tell me what you'd like and we can do that together. 
And that brings us to the end of this episode. And as always, I'll say it again and again, do your research. If someone does need to know about this topic, you may, maybe they'll find it interesting, please pass it along. That always helps with the community. Our podcast does come out every week and is available on susantaylor.org, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And join me for the behind the scenes commentary and the Q&A for this episode and all episodes, and you'll find that on YouTube. YouTube Susan Taylor PhD, you should be able to find that. Since there's so many YouTube Susan Taylors, I thought the Susan Taylor PhD would be easier for you to remember. And again, if you'd like to hear more about this topic and you have some questions, uh, please let me know. And again, until next time, I'll say it again, remain calm, consciously aware, living in the moment.